listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. In this week's ACB Advocacy Update, we'll hear a presentation from the ACB of Maryland Convention, dealing with the coronavirus. This panel discussion was held on January 30th, 2021. Our next panel is going to be talking about uh, where we stand, particularly in Maryland, with uh, COVID-19. Uh, and also from the AP, ACB's perspective. Uh, we have two panelists. Uh, first panelist is Cecilia Warren. She is the Director of Emergency Preparedness Policy with the Maryland Department of Disabilities. And our second panelist will be Clark Reichold, who is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs with ACB. Uh, Cecilia, I didn't hear here that you came in, but I was bu- maybe They're busy here. talking. They're here. You're here. Great. They're both here. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Certainly can. Okay. That's great. Thank, right. you, Thank you, Cecilia. Good sound Good. check. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Would you like me to get started? Sure. You're on. Thank you, Cecilia. Okay. Thank you. And Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for such an enthusiastic introduction. Secretary Beatty sends her her warm regards this morning. I am delighted to be co-presenting with Clark. And today um, we are summarizing a curated list of COVID-19 response and recovery activities. I will be speaking specifically about Maryland while Clark is representing the national work of ACB. Before we dive into the presentation, I would like to start with a profile of the epidemiology data released at 10 a.m. this morning. Uh, This was released from Maryland Department of Health, also known as MDH. These figures represent the reporting period starting yesterday morning, January 29th, and ending this morning, January 30th. There were 2,097 new COVID-19 lab-confirmed cases in Maryland in this 24-hour reporting period. This brings our state to a cumulative total of 352,726 lab-confirmed cases. There were 31 new COVID-19 deaths, which brings us to a cumulative total of 6,931 deaths. Maryland's seven-day average case rate is 31.7, and seven-day rolling positivity rate is 5.79%. Many counties are far above the state average. Today, there are 1,560 individuals hospitalized with COVID-19, with 380 occupying intensive care beds. State and local health departments are conducting hundreds of outbreak investigations in a wide variety of settings, such as long-term care facilities, group homes, and places of employment. In addition to the thousands of public health employees that have been working on COVID-19 response since March 2020, Maryland has shifted thousands of state employees who are not public health clinicians, but serve the deep need for staffing other roles, such as testing centers, vaccination clinics, contact tracing, information technology, scheduling go teams for nursing homes, expanding lab capacity, communications, data collection, and so on. Many communities have unmet needs, and your state and local emergency managers are working tirelessly every day to support these communities. During this pandemic, we also supported the response and recovery needs for tropical storms and the inauguration. This weekend, state and local agencies are pressing forward with preparations for a potentially significant winter storm. Uh, In other words, There are no weekends or holidays during the declaration of emergency. So we have made much progress in Maryland with respect to disaster preparedness, response, and recovery. And today I want to share with you a few highlights of Maryland Department of Disabilities, or MDOD's COVID-19 response. At the beginning of the pandemic, healthcare facilities issued no visitor policies. Secretary Beatty and the Secretary of Health issued a joint order in May 2020 and amended again in September to allow for support persons for people with disabilities in healthcare settings, including nursing homes, assisted living, and outpatient centers. A support person may be a family member, personal care assistant, 
similar disability service provider or other individual knowledgeable about the management or care of the patient, and someone who is authorized to assist the patient in making decisions. This does not mean this person has to be a guardian. They simply have to be in a position where they are able to help that patient make decisions and enjoy equal access to the health care provided. People with disabilities, regardless of diagnosis or symptoms of COVID-19, are permitted to have access to support persons. In other words, a support person is an accommodation, not a visitor. Therefore, they do not fall under the visitor policy of the facility. As you can imagine, we continue to receive complaints pertaining to healthcare facilities refusing access to support persons. During emergency declarations, MVOD stands up a constituent services hotline. The hotline staff work to resolve these issues as well as provide referrals and perform case management. We have enhanced monitoring of the hotline on the weekends and calls are returned within 12 hours. Uh, during the weekdays, they're typically answered um, on the first call. The pandemic has also resulted in a limited supply of specific foods and supplies in the supermarkets. Working with the private sector, MDOD arranged for group homes for people with disabilities to purchase groceries and supplies in quantities above the store-imposed limit. Group homes are committed to patronizing businesses in their communities. We also work with Maryland Department of Human Services to create a food delivery program for people with disabilities who could not access their community food banks due to lack of transportation, mobility issues, or quarantine. Um, the funding for that program expired at the end of October excuse me, at the end of December. However, we do have a modified version of that program available today. And should you find yourself in that position uh, where you need uh, food delivery, and we're not speaking of Peapod or Instacart, this is from like food bank type delivery. If you call 211, they will ask some screening questions and make the proper referral so that we can um, meet that, uh, that need for a feeding opportunity. In addition to um, these programs, we have a deep bench of expertise in accessible communication and information technology. So working with the Hospital Surge Task Force, we deployed assistive technology kits to field hospitals and testing centers to ensure that people with disabilities would have equal access to communication. This kit includes devices such as assisted listening devices, video magnifiers, and, other low, and, and some low-tech items. We also contract with a vendor to provide on-demand video remote interpreters. And these um, devices and the interpreters will also be available at state-sponsored uh, vaccination sites. Disasters do not impact all communities equally, and we have additional risks during a disaster. Um, the ability to access information is critical. Uh, how can we access instructions, warnings, and announcements if it's not presented with universal design in mind? So assistive technology should be interoperable with critical messages, but oftentimes we would find that agencies would issue image-only PDFs. So how we approach that task, which sometimes seems insurmountable, is that we started with um, the executive office in that we had our staff train um, some members of the executive staff to render executive orders accessible um, so that when an executive order is issued on the weekend or in the evening, we can have it rendered and remediated accessible even without the source document. Um, and that can occur fairly quickly so that it can be posted to the website. Um, and uh, in addition to that, we have received other complaints um, regarding COVID-19 websites. Um, and so we have a staff now dedicated to testing and analyzing public-facing COVID-19 websites that are under a state banner. A few problems or challenges have emerged from this and that several agencies were creating their own version of COVID-19 websites with information specific to their focus, such as labor, or aging, and the like. Um, complaints from the public indicated that some elements were not accessible. 
So uh, Secretary Beatty sent official notice to state leadership and cabinet secretaries that COVID-19 websites should um, complete a brief notification to our IT accessibility policy director and then be prepared for analysis on the site's conformance to WCAG standards. Uh, the staff will generate a report and make contact with the vendor or webmaster or other party who can make code corrections. Um, obviously, this is not a once-and-done program. As an incident matures, uh, as the pandemic matured, we noticed that web pages were adding interactive elements, um, uh, form fields, and other features that were not rendered with accessible methods. Um, so whenever possible, the staff maintaining or adding web content would then have to receive instruction on how to make the content accessible. It could even be something as simple as color contract color contrast or adding alt text to images. Okay, I am following my notes here. Excuse me, I had a little delay on my computer. So not only do we render um, web products accessible uh, to assistive technology, we also lend assistive technology to individuals who need to borrow or try new devices. To that end, we provided um, the technology kit that I spoke to you about earlier but we also have our AT loan program. Um, in addition to loaning uh, devices, we have a financial program that individuals can apply for a very low interest um, no loan that requires no collateral in order to purchase assistive technology, make accessibility improvements to their resident, or even to render a vehicle accessible for um, a wheelchair lift. The loan program uh, for the technology uh, devices had to really pivot to a different model. Um, typically, we would deliver them in person and train a, an individual um, at their home. Um, but now that we are not going into homes, um, except on limited circumstances, the program had to be devised so that as equipment is returned, we have um, several ultraviolet lights and, and sanitizing processes, and then we repackage the equipment to um, ship it out by UPS or FedEx to the, uh, to the recipient that it is being loaned to. So it's become a much more intensive process. Now, I wanted to leave um, plenty of time for uh, Clark to give his information, although I could speak on this topic all morning. Um, but I would like to defer to him, and then at the end, perhaps, we will have time for some questions. Um, Clark, did you want to take it from here? Great. Thank you so much, Cecilia. That was a, a lot of great information. I know I learned something here this morning. And I just want to say thank you to ACB of Maryland for welcoming me this morning. My name is Clark Rockfall. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind located in our national office in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, just quickly about me, though, I am born and raised, grew up, went to public school and university in Maryland. So I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. I went to public school throughout Annapolis Elementary, Bates Middle, Annapolis High School, and did my undergraduate in, uh, in economics and political science at Towson University. and had some great vision itinerant teachers along the way, uh, received support and assistive technology from the Maryland Department of Rehabilitative Services, or DOORS, and O&M training from the Maryland School for the Blind in Baltimore as well. So Maryland native son right here, and my family still lives there, so we get back to Annapolis often. Uh, so I was asked to, same as Celia, share some of the work that the ACB National Office has been doing throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I'll just jump right in here. So when the pandemic was really getting underway, uh, we were starting to hear a, a lot of say, general concern, fear of the unknown. Uh, and certainly we had a lot of those thoughts as well, um, just not knowing what was happening, how government and programs and agencies would adapt. And some ways that that played out was we were hearing from folks that they were feeling you know, isolated, alone, 
Uh, we were hearing about the shortages and in many cases also experiencing the shortages at grocery stores as well as the delays for grocery delivery. So at ACB, we were able to work with our corporate partners like Walmart to ensure that people with disabilities were included in their early shopping windows and at their facilities along with seniors so that folks could shop and receive the, you know, the goods that they needed in an environment that was uh, more friendly during the pandemic. We also built a relationship and worked with Procter & Gamble to deliver around 2,000 care packages. Unfortunately, none in the Maryland area, but through six hotspots throughout the country. So New York, Orlando, New Orleans, Chicago, Cincinnati, San Francisco, and Seattle. I added Chicago. That was not one of them. Um, <laughs> so and in those care packages, we included uh, those household and personal care cleaning items that were becoming so hard to come by. At the same time that we were doing this work, we were also working with our national partner organizations as uh, the federal government and state and local governments were starting to implement a lot of uh, emergency orders, executive or orders, and waivers. So some of these that folks may remember um, last fall, excuse me, last spring in the April timeframe, the U.S. Department of Education uh, gave a lot of us a, a fright when they started asking what waivers they should allow for uh, requirements under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, you know, that landmark piece of legislation that provides the right of a free, appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment for students with disabilities. And you know, collectively, ACB, our members, and the, uh, the cross-disability community, we, we raised our voices and we said that their you know, FAPE and LRE those are rights. They should not, there should be no waivers in that regard is all, at all. And the Department of Education listened. Uh, the waivers that they, that they did look to provide were focused on administrative burdens, uh, paperwork, and reimbursements. So we were certainly pleased by that outcome. We also worked with our partners and the Department of Health and Human Services to provide waivers and relaxed requirements on uh, available prescription doses uh, to make it so that individuals could receive a prescription for 90 days instead of 30. And again, limit the amount of time that you have to spend in line or at a pharmacy out in public during a pandemic uh, to receive needed and necessary medication. We also work to expand the availability of telehealth and relax requirements so that telehealth in some cases could be provided via phone calls, just the, just the telephone portion, only audio only, not, and not have a video requirement. And, and at the same time, uh, throughout the pandemic, it's brought to light several things that we already knew, that many telehealth video services, patient portals, and at-home medical equipment are not accessible to people who are blind or with vision loss. Our friends in ACB Diabetics in Action uh, certainly know this better than, than most of us. So that's an area of focus that we'll maintain here going forward. Another thing that we worked on um, in the cross-disability community as a whole, as well as the Department of Justice, was quick to respond to was the, uh, the notion of rationing of care. So if you, you think back, I think we've been through three or four waves of the coronavirus and spikes in cases, uh, and we're certainly not out of the woods yet. But early on, we heard about states that were being, that had their infrastructure and hospital beds being overwhelmed, putting in crisis plans that would ration care to patients based off of quality of life. And that's the, that's the scary part because it was their perception of quality of life that could be interpreted to mean that somebody with a disability must obviously not have 
as high a quality of life as other patients. So someone with a disability could be moved further down the list uh, before receiving treatment. And that's something scary to think about. Uh, Complaints were filed and the Department of Justice acted quickly and made a, a fast example of the state of Alabama. And soon after that, the state of Pennsylvania settled so that they would not have the same judgment rendered against them. Uh, and that, that was a, a quick and swift response that put other, other states on notice. Um, but it's you know, certainly a, still a scary, scary thing to think about, a scary proposition. At the same time that we've been working you know, on, the, on the policy and direct support initiatives, um, we've also been working on launching a health and wellness campaign um, that will really get underway here in 2021. Um, we're calling it Get Up and Get Moving. And this is really building off of the work that we've been doing, uh, that ACB members have been doing for quite some time, but we've started to get some good traction and movement and momentum. So prior to the ACB virtual conference and convention last year, we had an announcement with Peloton Interactive that they were becoming the first out-of-the-box, fully accessible piece of exercise equipment, and not only that, but smart exercise equipment, by enabling the Google TalkBack screen reader on their Peloton bike. Uh, So now somebody with a a disability could independently operate and also independently launch the screen reader on the bike. So if you are one day in person at a ACB event in the future and you go to the fitness center and there's a Peloton bike, you don't need to find someone from the hotel staff to help you activate the screen reader or start a class for you. You can do that on your own. And if you have one of these machines at home, same thing. No, no more relying on friends, family, loved ones. You can independently uh, launch a class and you know rock out and get a good workout in. So this is work that we are seeking to expand. You know, now Peloton has shown that it is it is possible. So that's no longer an, an excuse for other fitness and exercise equipment manufacturers. And this is just one small component of our our health and wellness campaign, but shows that what is possible when ACB and our members are pushing the envelope and working collaboratively uh, with our industry and other partners. Also throughout 2020, um, and in large part, thanks to, she has many names, but I'll refer to her as Cindy Hollis, our membership services coordinator for ACB National. Um, we had the launch of the ACB community events, and it, it became quite clear that in addition to social distancing, we have many members in ACB and the broader blindness community who weren't just feeling distanced, but were feeling isolated, trapped, alone. And the ACB community provides uh, a social forum to improve health and wellness, you know, if you're taking a, again, a yoga or a resistance class, but also just for mental health, it provides that community, that outlet where folks can meet for a coffee social. We've had a few advocacy sessions related to low vision and a a topic I'll get to here shortly, voting, uh, but then also game night and just fun social outings. So those have grown like gangbusters. Um, You can find out about information about the ACB community events on the acb.org website. Uh, There are now anywhere from 70 or 80 events a week with people attending from all over the world. And last but not least, voting. Um, Folks, it seems like so long ago, but there was just an election and primary elections in 2020. And along with the items we touched on earlier, this was a space where executive orders were flying fast and furious, um, including in uh, the state of Maryland. Uh, Governor Hogan had to make uh, several changes and modifications and 
uh, additional statements to provide clear direction on how uh, people in Maryland would be able to vote in the primary and the general election. And I know there's a lot of great work by ACB of Maryland in this regard, and the ACB National Office worked with more than 25 of our state affiliates to expand the availability of accessible absentee voting throughout the country. And depending on, because elections are mandated from the federal level, but they are implemented at the state and local level. So it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, Every state, and in some cases, county and city, have different election laws and implement their election requirements differently. But one thing that is the same, no matter where you live, is that we are entitled to a private and independent vote. We're provided equal aspects to government services, including voting. And even within voting, uh, we are in, we have the right to a private independent vote and equal access to not only in-person voting, but absentee voting as well. And there was a lot of uh, great steps taken to make absentee voting more accessible throughout the country. And then before I kick it back over to Cecilia and we uh, take some questions here, just wanted to ad- address the the pandemic response um, more directly. So there was a lot of concern at the start of the pandemic about testing and um, the government and pandemic information. So at, at ACB, we worked uh, you know, on the national level to add a COVID-19 response page to the acb.org website and provide links and accessible resources for COVID-19 information. We also worked with our affiliates when information was brought to our attention, um, because much like voting, uh, the COVID response has been on the the state and local level as well. So if we heard about barriers to testing, or if if, uh, localities or jurisdictions only had available drive-up testing sites and would only serve people who were able to drive in a car... Um, We worked with them to resolve those issues. Um, On the subject of uh, the vaccine and vaccine availability, uh, this is an area that we're watching as well to ensure that any websites where you have to receive information or register uh, for an appointment to receive the COVID vaccine, that those are accessible. And again, similar to testing, that vaccination sites are accessible to people with disabilities as well. Um, Cecilia, anything you'd like to add in in that regard specific to Maryland? Yes, I would actually. The um, with the test, uh, excuse me, with the vaccinations, um, there is a scarcity mindset um, because we simply do not have enough vaccines to meet the demand. And that is going to be a continuous problem, um, at least for the near future. And that is not something that the state or local entities control. We're receiving those allocations from the federal government. And we are seeing um, some repetitive uh, problems with accessibility. Uh, We are working to address that, especially at the local level. Uh, different uh, locales are using various vendors or off-the-shelf software that um, may not be accessible. Um, we, there are some jurisdictions doing a great job, uh, and one is Montgomery County, and we have heard from constituents there that did not have difficulty with registration. There are some other off-the-shelf software that I've encountered and tested that was not accessible that have many unlabeled form fields, which render it impossible to independently um, register for a vaccination appointment. And of course, we do want to hear this um, at MDOD because it gives us, um, if it's something that hasn't been brought to our attention, 
we may not be aware of it. So if you do call with a complaint, please make it as specific as possible. And if you can even send screenshots or describe what the issue is, if you're not able to get it resolved with the local jurisdiction. Um, in addition to that, um, one common uh, oversight that we find is that um, sometimes the websites don't have an opportunity to allow the um, recipient to request an accommodation. And that is something that we're really honing in on is that all of these websites should provide a mechanism for you to request an accommodation, which in our case, it could be that you would like to receive the consent forms electronically in advance. Um, no one likes to be presented at the vaccination site with something to sign that you haven't had an opportunity to perhaps review independently. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that is very reasonable um, to, to request that. Many vaccination sites only allow for the person receiving the vaccination to be present. But if you have a, a personal care attendant or a support person that you wish to accompany you, um, that should be permitted. Um, in addition, we have sent assistive technology to a, all of our state vaccination sites. I cannot speak for the local jurisdictions, although we do lend them um, technology. And so there are a number of possible obstacles. Um, some have workarounds and some don't. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us at MDOD should you encounter um, a situation that you think needs to be resolved at a higher level or if you're not able to. In addition, Clark and I were speaking about um, this particular situation earlier this week in that it's really important now while vaccines are not available to the broader public to start making a vaccination plan. Um, in determining that plan, think about transportation. The, um, the Ubers and Lyfts uh, are, of, of, I'm going to say a limited supply. There are fewer drivers out there um, right now. And so thinking about it, if you have to um, use transportation, private transportation to get to a vaccination clinic, um, Think about who you would ask or what service you would use. And then immediately after receiving your first vaccination, make an appointment for your second vaccination and then make another transportation plan. Um, you would obviously, if you're going through the effort to get vaccinated, you want to be sure that you get your second dose um, in the proper time frame. And so uh, these are some things that you can start planning for now uh, prior to you necessarily being eligible. Um, and even if you're eligible, your local health department may not be uh, prioritizing your particular eligibility group. Um, some are prioritizing 75 and over and uh, teachers and first responders and others are serving a broader category. So those are some things that we, we can't control. The local jurisdictions do have the authority to um, sort of uh, stratify different eligibility groups um, that um, the governor has authorized a, a certain phase to be vaccinated, but if there's not enough vaccines, they are um, looking into that, uh, stratifying that group even further. And also with the snowstorm expected early in the week and tomorrow, um, some clinics for testing and vaccination have already canceled for Monday. So please check prior to departing if you were planning on doing any of those activities at the beginning of the week. Clark? Cecilia, that's a great point. Uh, similar to how we talked in the fall about making a plan for how folks were going to vote for the elections this past year, make a plan on how you are to either get a COVID test or receive the COVID-19 vaccination. Um, much like the ride shares and taxi services are in limited uh, supply, We've, we've all been reading the news about the hardships that public transportation systems are facing with reduced ridership. Uh, WMATA has reduced the frequency of trains and bus service. Uh, paratransit in the D.C. area, they're trying to, they are limiting uh, the individuals who, or how many individuals uh, may be on a ride together. Um, so all that to say, uh, make a plan. It, it's worth doing the, the homework in advance. 
so that you are prepared come the day of when you know, getting that critical test or that critical vaccine. So, uh, Cecilia, thank you so much. Um, I'd just like to say one thing. This is Pat. Um, Cecilia, thank you for the work that you have done over the last 10, 11 months. I know you've been working six days a week for uh, a long time, working with people with disabilities all throughout Maryland. And I don't think many of us uh, appreciate the amount of work that has been that you have put into this. And, and it's just great that we have someone who is so capable being able to do that kind of work for people with disabilities in the state of Maryland. Thank you for that. And Clark, when you listen to uh, your, um, your, your list of things that you're working on, I know that you've got about 25 uh, activities on your to-do list. I think you mentioned half of them. So appreciate the work that you're doing on behalf of ACB Advocacy Affairs. Uh, you've got a long to-do list. Uh, keep up your energy and your health because I think you're going to need it throughout uh, 2021. Health and wellness is going to be a big push for us in 2021. I think there's lots of good activities uh, going on, and we'll, we'll get through this pandemic Hopefully, we'll all be able to get our vaccines fairly fairly soon. Um, let me see if we have any questions from the audience for Cecilia or Clark. Actually, I have a question, Pat. Um, this is Sandra. Sorry, I can't raise my hand for some reason. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Ah, fabulous. Okay. Um, amazing presentation. Thank you very much, um, Cecilia and Clark. One quick question for you. Um, do you, I heard Clark that you said that um, people who are blind can go to the early senior hours, but is that written anywhere? Cause I haven't, I totally, I'm glad that we can and I fully intend to do just that, but I haven't seen it on like, um, let's say the website for Sam's or Walmart, you know, okay, we have, I've seen, we have senior hours, you guys can come early, but I haven't seen where they've included um, people with disabilities and also, a good description, I'm not sure if it's on the ACB website or I've just missed it, but a good description of stuff like, because I've heard time and time again, um, some of my friends, well, you know, I don't really know how to put on my mask and I don't know if it's the right way. Have, have, do we have any information, you know, how, this is the way you put on a, a, like a description. This is how you put on a mask appropriately or properly. This is how you, you know, pull off your gloves appropriately. Um, you know, in a text, some sort of a text description, because um, I've been asked that on more than one occasion, and I don't have an answer. Sandra, thanks for those questions. Uh, with specifically to Walmart, I know we had an, an announcement back in the, oh, geez, uh, spring, second quarter uh, of last year that people with disabilities could go to the, the senior hours. Um, I, I would have to get back to you to determine whether or not that's included on their, um, on their website or not. And uh, the question about masks and gloves, that's, that's another good question. I, I don't know if I have seen a, a listing of the proper way to do it um, either. Cecilia, does Maryland have a, a resource like that? I believe we do have one for masking um, and we have it in two forms. One is uh, for businesses and one is in plain language. I'd be happy to share those. I don't believe we have one for gloves because it's not been, it's a, it's a recommended PPE, but it is not necessarily recommended for the general public. At least that that's not something that MDH has taken like a universal people of members of the public must wear gloves. So I don't have one for gloves specifically. And we do have some questions from the audience. All right. So Shirley, feel free to unmute. Um, I was wondering if, if there is anything in the works for uh, people receiving the vaccine 
from home because I am homebound. Are you a resident of Maryland? Yes. Okay. And do you have access to paratransit? Yes, but I can't use it right now. Okay. Um, at this time, it depends. Well, the reason I'm asking is this comes down to the local jurisdiction. So um, some, some local jurisdictions are offering transportation, some are not. So during the registration process, if your local jurisdiction offers transportation, they will have a um, form field for where it will ask, do you require transportation to the vaccination clinic? Um, and that would be your opportunity to identify as somebody who does. Um, if, if you do not live in a jurisdiction that has that, then there is no, currently no service offered. However, as the state opens hundreds of additional vaccination sites, that possibly could change. Um, and so I'm, uh, this isn't an answer where I can say definitively for the rest, for the duration of the pandemic. I can only really give you an, a snapshot for at this time. Okay, thank you for your question. Next, we have Joyce. Uh, this question is for Cecilia, I guess. First of all, I was pleased to see on the pre-registration the question about transportation. But when I went to originally pre-register on my phone, which is an iPhone, I was not able to do that. I had to go to a PC with Microsoft Edge in order to pre-register. The form never came up. Okay. Uh, is it possible for you to send this information and all the pertinent facts like jurisdiction, things like that, to um, either my email or our constituent services email? Uh, yeah, I can. Okay. That would be terrific. Um, I don't know if that's something that Patrick can provide uh, the email um, or I can give it to you right now. I don't know if you have a way to record that. Yeah. Uh, what? Either well, way, send it out later. Yeah, I can. Send, can you distribute it out later? Thank you. We'll we'll take care of that, Cecilia. Certainly. Thank you. And next, we have a question from Brian. Feel free to unmute. Hi. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you very much, both, for your presentations. Um, my question is: as we move into the vaccine distribution. Um, more and there's um, sorry my phone keeps talking to me um, as we move into the more of the vaccination process and there are more and more um, clinics uh, where we would need to potentially sign up and we may run into accessibility problems on individual clinic pages is there a resource through um, either of your organizations where somebody might call in and get assistance with the making an appointment if the website isn't accessible. Thank you very much. So this is Cecilia. Um, we have uh, some plans in the works on a call center, which may be able to help depending on what website it is and what entity it is. Um, but this is sort of a multi-agency project. So I really can't say too much, uh, you know, too much about it at this point, but that is, um, that is a known problem is that many of the websites don't have a phone number available to call to request assistance. And this is Clark with the ACB National. I, I think the state level resources are, are your best bet to address that issue, um, whether it's ACB of Maryland uh, or Cecilia, you'll be giving out your, your home phone number here, right? Um, however, we, we are starting to hear, uh, you know, in part of the, the plan that a lot of states and jurisdictions are moving toward is using uh, you know, corporate pharmacies and drugstore locations. So that's Walmart, CVS, Walgreens uh, for making these appointments. And certainly with those um, national corporations, if you are encountering accessibility problems with registering uh, to receive a, a vaccine or testing uh, at their facilities, please let the ACB national office know and you can reach out. And that's for folks in Maryland, outside of Maryland, wherever you are, 
um, please reach out to us and let us know by emailing advocacy at acb.org. And Clark, wouldn't this is Pat? Wouldn't this be a nice free IRA service? You know, it would be a great use for IRA. Um, it, and if you are, and if you are not a subscriber um, with an account for for IRA, um, or you've already used your five free minutes, it could be a good reason to call. Be my eyes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can thank me later for all this free business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll give they'll problem. give you a percentage of that free business. Oh, I'm sure they will. They'll give me yeah. something. Yeah. Thanks. You have about one minute, Pat. Pat left. Um, would you like one more question? How many more questions? One more question. Yeah. We could maybe, if there's a lot of questions, maybe we there's, could the break. There's there's two. <laughs> so. Take two questions quick. Okay. Yeah. IRA code five six two. You should be able to unmute. Regina. Uh, no, I was going to try to help the lady out here in where I am in California. CVS comes out to the complex, so she might see if a CVS would come to her. And That's then, Susan, Thank you. you have a question in the panel. Good morning. Um, good morning. I just wanted to thank Cecilia and Clark for all the work that you've done. And, Cecilia, you've done so much to help people who are blind and with disabilities in Maryland. I really appreciate it. Um, currently the form, I filled out the form in Maryland and Montgomery County to sign up and, uh, Montgomery County is still focusing on people over age 75 in 1A, but there isn't a place to check to see if you need any accommodation. What do you suggest we do? I mean, should we, for example, should we call, call the ADA coordinator, contact the disability commission, the commission on people with disabilities what do you suggest this is cecilia i i heard from a constituent this week that said that it did ask now i don't know if that's because they perhaps were in a different group and got farther to actually schedule the appointment i i'm I need to go back and check that uh, to be certain because it was my understanding that Montgomery County had fixed that problem and added a place for you to request accommodations. So I will go back and check. If you're saying it doesn't, then, um, you know, I'll see where I can determine where the breakdown is and we can ask them to add that. Actually, and I'm sure they will. Well, thank you. So I've already, I already submitted mine. Can I go back and if they added that, can I go back and edit it? I mean, is that possible? That I don't know, but I know when I received uh, my confirmation of registration, um, they did get, have an opportunity for me to go back and edit. Um, but I was on a different platform, not Montgomery County. So you'll have to tell me. Thank (laughs) you. I will check it out. Thank Uh, you. When I filled out my registration, it did ask, uh, it was like yesterday or the day before, it did ask whether I needed transportation uh, on the Montgomery County website. So I I was able to tell it, yes, I'm going to need some transportation assistance. And that's okay. Thank questions. You. Very good. So I know where, I think we are at time. Uh, Cecilia and Clark, thank you for an excellent presentation. A lot of good questions. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. Thanks, Clark, for being such a great (laughs) co-presenter. Thank you. It was a pleasure working with you, Cecilia. And Pat, if I may just have a a moment here before we depart. I just want to remind everyone that registration is now open for the virtual 2021 ACB DC leadership meetings. Um, It is not only for affiliate leadership and presidents, but it is open to everyone. So please visit the acb.org website or give us a call on the the 1-800 number uh, to learn more or to register. And this year, I know it just heard uh, Susan on the line. Um, This year, the event is titled the Charlie Crawford DC Leadership Meetings. So it's, uh, you know, Charlie was a a great ambassador for ACB in our community. Um, not only everything he did for ACB as an organization, 
but he was a tireless advocate as well, especially when it came to the rights of uh, service animal handlers and improving transportation, you know, in, in the DC area and around the country as a whole. So we look forward to speaking with you all and working with you all throughout the year. And again, I hope you're able to join us for the Charlie Crawford DC leadership meetings. This is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. If you are not already part of the ACB family, you can join us by going to acb.org or call us at 612-332-3242 and we'll help you join our community. Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The Benefits of Audio Description in Education Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience audio description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.dcmp.org slash learn slash 658 to enter. And keep on enjoying audio descriptions. And to everyone listening, again, thank you so much. You can look up ACB at acb.org. You can shoot us a message at advocacy at acb.org. And as always, keep advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.